the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Nice to have you with us here on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley, along with Josh Pick. We would love to hear from you, and we'll have some of your emails today. Send your emails to bruce at salemmedia.com, bruce at salemmedia.com. As we discuss your wealth, how to manage your wealth, how to build toward retirement, Josh Pick and the Aptus Retirement Team are ready to get with you a free consultation at Aptus Wealth Management. Reach out 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, or at Aptus Wealth. .com and Aptus is spelled A-P-T-U-S. Josh, welcome to the show this week. And we always kind of start our show with a little bit of current events and asking you about things that you see in the news and people are concerned about in the news. And one of the big outgrowths of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act is the expansion of the IRS and the uh, purported addition of 87,000 IRS agents. So I'm going to assume that some of your clients have been through a tax audit at some point in time. For those who have not been through one, uh, I think the general thought is, uh uh-oh, panic time. What do you tell your clients when they get the call from the IRS that they're going to be audited? Well, I think for most people, getting audited feels a lot like getting pulled over by the by the police, right? Whether you Mm -hmm. were doing something wrong or not, your your blood pressure elevates and you go, oh no, what did I do? Well, similarly, when you get that call from the audit, and a lot of times, by the way, it's not a call. It's it's a letter in the mail. Okay. So the preliminary kind of approach is you'll get a letter in the mail that says we've done an internal audit and our computer system generated some what we believe to be an inaccuracy and we want to dive in deeper. And, and usually you can respond to that piece of paper with a you know a retort and say, I appreciate your numbers, but they're wrong. And a lot of times that'll take care of it. The unfortunate part of that, though, is that process takes time. So you get this letter in the mail. You want to resolve it as quick as possible because you have that feeling of, you know, anxiety and trepidation, and you just want to get it behind you. Sure. But the process might take, you know, three months, six months before you end up getting it resolved. But it's not something that's unusual, so don't panic. A lot of times the computers are wrong. You'll get these from the state of Ohio as well, uh, very common. So don't don't lose your mind when you get it. Uh, hopefully you work with a tax professional. You call them and say, I got this. What does this mean? And they'll lay out guidelines to take care of it. But I would Make no mistake about it, 87,000 more agents is going to cause more audits, period. Yeah, so we, we, we're we in a situation where we kind of have to speculate about what's ahead because we haven't seen how it plays out. But let's get into what we know about audits so far. Did I hear you say that most audits are randomly generated, like a computer picks up on something, maybe an addition or subtraction mistake or a number that's, I'm guessing, like out of norm with, say, what a typical deduction for whatever line it is on your tax return might be. Whoa, this is way high, or whoa, this is way low. Are those typically the things that trigger audits, or are audits triggered more often by 
actual human eyes on a return and, you know, saying, hey, this is an issue because. You know, I wish I could tell you definitively, but I could speculate with what I've seen in the past and, and kind of come up with a logical deduction. It seems to me like computers spit out some information, but at the same time, there can be some form of an algorithm generated by an individual. Hey, these are the people that we're targeting for XYZ reason. Now, amongst that group of people, do you see anything jump out? That's the way I believe it's handled. Um, so you're hearing the administration saying we're only going to go after people in certain income categories. Well, it would be easy to then segment those folks out and say, does anything stand out amongst them? But how and why, it, of, it often seems awful darn random. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you, Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. It airs also uh, on Saturday afternoon, Friday night 7, Saturday afternoon 2 p.m. here on The Answer. You can send us an email and ask us questions at bruce at salemmedia.com, bruce at salemmedia.com. Set up your free consultation with the Aptus Retirement Team. Call them 614-917-1040 or reach out on the web at aptuswealth.com. Okay, so... Is there a right answer and a wrong answer in a tax audit? They're the IRS, so is their answer always right, or do they listen and do they evaluate interpretations of tax laws, which I'm going to assume as big and complicated as the tax code is, there are variously different ways to interpret one law. You know, there are many, many times where I'll tell clients, do your own taxes. Your situation is very easy. Get, a, get some turbo tax mm-hmm. and fire through and it's cake. When it comes to an audit, um, I'm of a very differing belief, and that belief is get somebody to help handle the audit for you. And that could be a tax attorney. It could be a CPA. But the point being, that CPA or tax attorney probably has a contact at the IRS or has a contact at the state of Ohio. And it's much easier for somebody who has a rapport and understanding, a level of basis of un- of saying, you know, this person knows what they're talking about. I've worked with them many times in the past. Their clients are always squeaky clean. And this is probably the same, and you approach it from a different angle. I think it's worth the money. Uh, find find somebody to help you out. They'll deal with it. It'll get resolved quicker, and you won't say the wrong things or mm. do the wrong things or position something in the wrong way. So you're in the business of growing people's wealth at Aptus Wealth Management, and I'm going to theorize that one of the things that might trigger attention is if somebody has a really good year. Uh, if their dividend income is up, their stock income is up. Is that is that right? Is that wrong? Like that could be one of those numbers that jumps off the page at an auditor or at an algorithm. Not necessarily, uh, because most of those things are very trackable. So, you know, if you have a great year, the brokerage company, uh, whether it's Schwab or TD or Fidelity or one of the big houses, will send a 1099 to you, but they also send a 1099 to the federal government. So that computer program's basically just comparing the two. Mm-hmm. So where it would jump off the page is, hey, Fidelity told us you had $900,000 worth of gains, and you're telling us it's only four hundred. That jumps off the sure. page. Um, where it really gets kind of squirrely is, you know, last year you had a small business and your expenses were, you know, you, you generated a million dollars worth of income and your expenses were 400000 And this year you're claiming a $200,000 loss with an income of $2 million. What, what, what exactly yeah. happened over the last year that changed it so dramatically? Those would be the things that jump off the page. But I think in most instances, it's just simply inaccuracies. It's fat fingering on the actual filing of the taxes. Interesting. Josh Pick and Bruce Hooley with you. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show, and you can get a free consultation with Josh and his team. Set it up by phone at 614-917-1040 or on the web at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. 
So we talked last week a lot about Social Security, and we had a couple questions come in regarding Social Security. Here's an email from Bill. He says, I'm 61 years old, and I don't know if I should start taking Social Security when I'm 62 or when I'm 65 or when I'm 67. I know the amount of money that I will get from Social Security goes up the longer I wait, but the longer I wait means that I'm not getting Social Security in that time that I'm not waiting. So what are the factors that I should evaluate in terms of when I should start to take my Social Security benefits? You know, we get this question a lot, and I wish it was as simple as just saying this, which mm-hmm. is what I hear most often. Uh, well, if I collected 62, then I get money right away. So if I'm choosing this or treating this like a buffet line, I want to get as much food as I can, mm. right? I want to get the most bang for my buck, and I want to make sure that I get as much money out of Social Security as possible. And that break-even point on waiting is about age, age, age 83, about So in a wind tunnel, if you want to view it that way, if you plan on living past 83 and you can afford to postpone, then absolutely do it. However, there's a bunch of other factors that start kind of flooding into that equation. For example, do you plan on continuing to work? If you plan on continuing to work, there are income limitations until your full retirement age. So for most people listening, your full retirement age is 67. If you want to continue to work until you're 67, but you want to collect your benefits at 62, for easy math, let's just say every $2 you make over $20,000 a year, your Social Security will be reduced by a dollar until you're 67. So, you know, you might end up filing Social Security and saying, well, this is great. I'm going to kind of, you know, take it while I can. It might not end up working out the way that you want. But there's a flip side of that. And the flip side is if you're in any of the RSs, PRS, STRS, All of those governmental pension programs or the state of Ohio pension programs, Um, if you're in that program, there is something called WEP, which means when you file for your pension, if you were due a Social Security benefit, your Social Security can be reduced and it can be reduced significantly. Mm -hmm. Think of, you know, 70, 60, 70 percent reduction. So it can be significant. But if you file for Social Security before you file for your pension, you can get your full benefit all the way up until you file for your pension. So it could make sense if you plan on working to, let's say, 70 before you file for your pension as a teacher or working for Ohio State. You may want to file for your Social Security at 66 or 67 and get that benefit because it's going to be eroded dramatically as soon as you file for examples of, I can think of dozens, where it could change the game quite a bit as soon as you step away from that wind tunnel. So let's go back to our emailer, and he said he's deciding whether or not to take his benefits at 62 or not. Let's presume, he didn't say, but let's presume that he wants to keep working until he's 65. So did I hear you right that if he continues to work, and let's say he makes $50,000 a year, that he could take Social Security at 62, but what would happen? His benefits would be reduced because of his outside income. Yeah, so the income threshold prior to full retirement age is ju- it's over $19,000, shy of $20,000. So in your scenario, you said he's making $50,000 yeah. a year. So that means that he has roughly $30,000 over the threshold. Well, two for one, so 30000 divided by two is fifteen grand. let us assume that his Social Security benefit was going to be $20,000 a year. He will actually receive five. The other fifteen goes away because he didn't meet the income threshold. Now, where does it go? It doesn't just evaporate. On those dollars, the federal government acts as if you never claimed. So it continues to get those increases like you didn't file. But mechanically, it's kind of a dumpster fire because how are they going to find out that you made more more money than you were supposed to. So you you claim for your Social Security, let's say his birthday's in January. You claim in January, you collect for the full year, you file your taxes in March or April the following year, 
The IRS probably takes them a couple months beyond that to get the number. You've received 18 months worth of benefit, mm-hmm. and the IRS sends you a love letter that says, this is not a good love letter, by the no, way. No, no. The love letter says you owe us, you know, 20000 bucks sure. for last year or 15000 or whatever the number is. So, you know, it's something you want to take into account, and that's, you know, irrespective of the taxation of the Social Security. Those are two different items. We're talking purely in the reduction because of age. Set up your free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team by calling 614-917-1040 or doing it on the web at aptuswealth.com. They're located north of 270 and 23 at about Route 750. Very easy to get to, very convenient, but they do a lot of business over Zoom. A lot of clients are outside the area, and so that's an option for you as well if you're listening to this show on the app and you're impressed with Josh and his knowledge uh, it's very comprehensive, and his team is very easy to deal with at Aptus Wealth Management. Again, 614-917-1040. Okay, so here's another email from Alex, and Alex says, I filed for Social Security, then I got a better job, and now I wonder, can I redo the decision that I made several years ago? Is that something that somebody can do? Yes and no. So for Alex, unfortunately, the answer is no. Um, he has filed and he has taken those benefits that what we call PIA or primary insurance amount. It's actually, you know, weird acronyms like every business, but uh, he has received his benefit for too long. But if mm-hmm. he had only started it 11 months ago, you have up to, up until 12 months to push the I take it back button. Okay. And that I take it back button could be I'm going to send all my money back like it never happened. Or I'd like to push the pause button and now allow my future benefits to continue to grow, and then I'll turn it back on. And this was very uh, prevalent during COVID. You know, you lost your job during COVID. Obviously, prospects for the economy were looking very tumultuous during that time, and people were starting to panic a little bit as the pandemic set in. So they said, I'm going to file for Social Security. I don't want to bleed myself dry while I'm looking for a job in a terrible market. And then, lo and behold, three, four months later, they got a job, and they said, can I, can I push the pause button? I don't need it anymore. And the answer is yes. Is the Social Security Administration uh, the rare government agency that's pretty easy to deal with? I mean, I'm just fashioning in my mind this scenario where you're going to send a big chunk of money back to the Social Security Administration because you're within that 12-month window and you want to do a do-over. Like that, that to me is like a situation that could be fraught with peril. I could see, oh, we lost that. Sorry, it's somewhere in the red tape. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm at the risk of sounding uh, pessimistic about government efficiency, which I think is uh... – the first oxymoron you learn in school. Yes. Um, it's not efficient uh, at all. If you can use the online system, which, believe it or not, the uh, Social Security website is pretty intuitive. It's pretty good. Uh, so if you can use that site, use it as much as possible. For anybody listening that's actually gone to the Social Security office, uh, and, and small towns are going to get mad at me for saying this, but I highly recommend you consider maybe taking a little half-hour, 45-minute drive and going to a small town. I think you'll find somebody that's very easy to work with understands their job, and is very happy to help you. And if you're in one of those scenarios where you're trying to do a redo, it probably makes sense to make that jaunt. So you're saying it's better to go to a small town or better to go to a big city? It's better to go to a small town. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Personal service. The weights are shorter. The people are overall, in, in my experience and from my client's experience, the people are significantly nicer. I've had several clients say they went to you know a local office here in Columbus and they said, you know, I waited for two and a half hours and finally left. Do you have any suggestions? And I'll say something to the effect of, why don't you, you know, make an appointment in Marion mm-hmm. or make an appointment. And I have no dog in this fight. Sure. Marion, right. I'm not from there. But 
you know, why don't you try that? And they always call me afterwards and go, thank you so much for the advice. That was a huge help. Very good. Well, we thank you guys for your emails, and you can send them your questions about anything related to your wealth, wealth management. Josh will be happy to answer them here on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. The email address is bruce at Salem Media, bruce at Salem Media. Com. So thank you, Alex, and thank you, Bill. We appreciate your questions, and they were good questions, and it tells us that you guys are listening and paying attention to the things that we talk about, and we want the show to be relevant, and we also want you to know that Josh and his team are standing by and would love to meet with you and would love to steer you through the process of helping you understand what they're about and how they approach investing and how they would plan to grow your money so you wouldn't arrive at retirement with a nasty surprise. Their number is 614-917-1040. Their web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth. Dot com. All right, we talk a lot about taxes and a lot of different realms on taxes. Virtually with every investment, there's strategic tax planning that goes into it from uh, what you guys do at Aptus Wealth Management. So let's talk about taxation of Social Security benefits. What are the complexities of that? What are the nuances that people need to know? Yeah, Social Security is kind of a weird animal. Uh, it's taxed unlike anything else in the tax code that I'm aware of in that the amount of the actual dollars and cents of Social Security that you're taxed on is based upon outside income, not the Social Security itself. So let me give you an example. If you retire on Social Security alone, you pay zero tax dollars on your Social Security, meaning that when you look at your your tax return, your 1040, there's a line to the left that says, what was your Social Security benefit? And then a line to the right that says, what is the taxable amount of that Social Security benefit? And yours would be zero. Mm-hmm. As if we, you have no other income. If you have no other income. If you start adding in other pieces of income, percentages of your Social Security get shifted over. Mm-hmm. So now you say, well, I have $50,000 worth of an annuity stream. Well, now up to 85% of that Social Security number can get shifted over. So now not only am I getting taxed on this annuity stream, but I'm getting taxed on 85% of my Social Security that I would not have gotten taxed on if I didn't have the annuity stream. So that the... the planning perspective on that as everybody's holding their hands on their side of their head going this is garbage you know i i do the right things i save money i want to develop a, a you know postpone gratification and have a great retirement and in, and in turn for doing that i'm getting punished via taxes well yeah that's how it feels but there is a planning process there so it's how when and where do we take that outside income from and how does that impact the social security it's not just what you make it's what you keep we've heard that for years mm-hmm so part of the plan is not just how do I earn the highest rate of return in my portfolio or my investments or whatever you want to call it. The other piece of it is how do I keep the most of it and also keep the most of my Social Security. So we do that kind of planning all the time. Okay, so I'm trying to put myself in the situation of somebody who has done it right and they've had an investment for a while. It's paid a good return. They see that return in their nest egg and then they know because you've advised them about how their Social Security can be taxed if they have income from other sources besides Social Security. I'm a kind of a person that feels like if my investment's been good to me and I've hung on to it, I don't really want to part with it. I don't really want to take it out of you know where it's paying me a return. But I'm kind of gathering that maybe I might take that return. Maybe it might be prudent to take the return from the investment early and later get into a situation where I become more reliant on Social Security than I might have thought I would have been, given the fact that I've balanced a portfolio with more in it than just Social Security. And sometimes that makes sense. And now we're getting into that gray area of investing where we talk about what makes the most dollars and cents sense Mm -hmm. and makes you feel best. Yeah. 
Um, and, and oftentimes we have that conversation where we say, well, your family has a, a really significantly long history of longevity. Uh, you know, nobody in your family's died before the age of 95. Clearly, you're going to make it past 83. So postponing Social Security would make a tremendous amount of sense. And the response back to that is, I have zero faith in the federal government and their ability to continue paying my Social Security benefits at the level that they are. It makes sense on paper. I do not feel comfortable parting with my nest egg mm-hmm. in order to get to that position. And there's typically a sweet spot answer in the middle where we can maximize both. And even furthermore, you know, oftentimes we hear, well, I have these three different accounts. I have my savings account and then I have my IRA account and then maybe I have a, you know, an annuity or deferred comp account. And I'm going to use this one until it's empty and then I'm going to move on to the next one and I'm going to use that until it's empty. And it's kind of this, uh, I, you just look at it as if there are buckets of money that I'm going to use arbitrarily. And oftentimes, to minimize the impact of taxation on Social Security and your other investments, for that matter, it may make sense to take a small percentage from one, a small percentage from the other, a small percentage from the other that may allow you to defer the Social Security and then ultimately make it less taxable. So there's a kind of method of the madness in there. He's Josh Pick. I'm Bruce Hooley. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. You can reach out to Aptus Retirement, uh, Aptus Blueprint, rather, Aptus Wealth Management, I should say, 614-917-1040. Get your Aptus Blueprint. Get ready for retirement. Set it up online, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Okay, so when I think about taxes and I think about Social Security, I think about a married couple that's retiring and they're going to enjoy a leisurely life. And I'm wondering, one of the complexities of tax planning is, do you file separately or do you file jointly? In terms of your Social Security benefits, let's say you've got two factory workers and they both have Social Security. Does the Social Security limit on $20,000, like, does that apply individually? Does that, like, two people that have that, can they take home $40,000 from Social Security and not get taxed? Or is there a tax penalty for people who rely on Social Security and both have that nest egg there for them? That's a great question. So as we look at the income threshold for the reduction of Social Security, yeah. meaning you're not full retirement age, it is based on the individual. So husband and wife, uh, wife continues working, uh, primary wage earner, husband is at home, says, I'm not going back to work. I'm only 62, but I'm going to file for my Social Security benefits. Wife makes a million dollars a year. Does that impact the take-home Mm-hmm. Uh, does it reduce the Social Security benefit for the husband? The answer is no. Uh, so that's very individual. When it comes to the taxation of Social Security, it's absolutely based upon joint income. So same scenario, is 85% of his Social Security going to be taxable? Absolutely. Uh, filing separately, can you alleviate some of those problems? Potentially, but you can also open up a whole can of worms on other things, like the cost of your Medicare and some other things. So you got to be very careful. And that's why, you know, you would think, one would think for most people when they reach retirement age, uh, taxes get easier. And oftentimes the advice becomes even more valuable. This feels like a game of whack-a-mole to me. It like is. I have money coming in here and I have money coming in here and I can avoid a tax penalty here. But when I do, I introduce myself to some penalty over here. I mean, it really, it really does. It feels like a game of whack-a-mole. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the, the fortunately, I suppose, um, they're not all equal size moles. Yeah. So when we look at the board, we might have to, you know, just miss one. But we eliminated the lion's share of the ones that were of the most impact. OK, so as we wrap up here on the topic of Social Security, what have we missed? Anything at all? What would your advice be to somebody who's 
contemplating whether to take benefits or not. I'm guessing that now that I know how complex it is, get a professional's advice on something like this rather than just relying on your own acumen. Yeah, you know, a question that I get all the time that I think points to that to that uh, opinion is, what can I do and what can I read to kind of give me an idea on what I should do? I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I want to read the consumer reports of Social Security and how I should file, maybe ARPS something. And the reality is there's nothing out there that's all-encompassing. Um, it just so happens that we were kind of ahead of this. We were doing a lot of Social Security you know, workshops and and seminars and educational sessions. And through that and seeing so many scenarios, you start to kind of have to do these research projects and you uncover and then you create this thesis and this idea. And now we've we've kind of seen it all and most of it all and done it all. And we have a pretty good idea on how to handle it. Well, and that's the reason why uh, it makes so much sense to get your free consultation at Aptus Wealth Management. 614-917-1040 to set that up. You can, of course, set it up online Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. It's a totally painless process. You're getting to know them. They're getting to know you. You're going to talk about what kind of saving plan you've had before. The best part of it, you're going to really understand why you do what you do. You get total peace from knowing why you're doing something rather than just flying blindly or hoping that what you do turns out to be a smart move. And if it's not, oftentimes it's too late to fix it. So get that done upfront free consultation with josh and the aptus team 614-917-1040 or online at aptus wealth aptus aptuswealth.com josh pick is the chief investment advisor with aptus wealth management a state registered investment advisory firm this program is sponsored by aptus wealth management exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle this information should not be considered tax or legal advice individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation past performance is not a guarantee of future results securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested Bruce Hooley and Josh Pick with you on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. We're glad to have you along, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email the show, bruce at salemmedia.com, bruce at salemmedia.com. Get your questions answered. There are tons of questions about matters of money and nothing more important than working toward retirement. That's what Josh and the Aptus team specialize in. They'll give you a free consultation so that you can get to meet them, so that you can understand their approach to investing, growing your money, managing your wealth, and getting you to retirement in a good place. Set it up online, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Set it up on the phone, 614-917-1040. And in that vein, Josh, the investment world seems pretty complex to me, and there are myriad options out there. And I heard a new term this week that I've not heard before. I've heard of IRAs, and I've heard of Roth IRAs. I've never heard of super IRAs or super Roth IRAs. I guess I heard of a super Roth IRA and I'm thinking, well, yeah, I've got a Roth IRA, but I'd rather have a super Roth IRA. But something tells me it's not that easy to evaluate it. Yeah, that's funny that you bring that up because I haven't heard that term in probably 20 years. Um, and it seems to be resurfacing again. So rewind the clock back to around 2000, 2001. It was kind of the heyday of the beginning, at least, I guess, of the wave of the Roth IRA. Um, so anytime there's a wave of a new thing that's getting a lot of press, uh Financial companies will figure out a way to spin that name and turn it into something even better that really is just describing a product that they already have on the shelf that they want to sell. Hmm. And the super Roth IRA traditionally was a term coined towards universal life insurance or whole life insurance. 
And the reason that they say it's a super Roth IRA is if you think about a, a traditional Roth IRA, is I put money in after tax, it grows tax deferred, and everything is tax free. So all the gains that I received inside of that uh, investment over that time period are all tax free, which is what makes it such a powerful tool. However, there's some restrictors on Roth IRAs. N- namely, you have to leave the money in there for five years before it's tax free. You have to wait until you're 59 and a half with a few exceptions, obviously, and some things that you can do to avoid that. But in general, you have to wait until you're 59 and a half before you pull the money out without a penalty. So life insurance, you put in money after tax, it grows tax deferred, you can pull it out tax free, and you can do that at any age. And on top of that, you have a death benefit right out of the gate. That is the pitch, which means it's just like a Roth IRA without any of these additional hiccups, meaning you don't have to wait until you're 59 and a half, you get a boost in death benefit right out of the gate. And while all of those things are true, they don't come free. And insurance is just that. It's no different than, you know, insurance. What is the definition of insurance? It's something that you buy, that you are transferring the risk of what you, your life or your car or your house onto an insurance company to cover you. And they don't do that for free. So am I saying now that I don't think life insurance is a good quote unquote investment? I think it's a tool in the quiver. Mm-hmm. But I do not believe that it is the super Roth IRA. I think once you've done the Roth IRA and you've done your 401k and you've covered your savings account and your emergency fund and you've handled all the other things in your life and you still want to continue to save and do it in a tax favorable basis. Well, now maybe that's a good option, but it is not called a super Roth IRA. It's called a life insurance policy. <laughs> so uh, creative marketing is important. Uh, I'm thinking about the Roth IRA. And the fact that, you know, what you put in, you uh, don't have to pay tax on when you pull it out. Are there limits on that in terms of, you know, how much you can put in and how much you can pull out? Uh, no. Actually, one of the famous cases is, uh, and I, I, the, the name eludes me on who actually did this, but it was a famous trader that was able to uh, transition the shares of his company stock into a Roth IRA. And I believe, I could be wrong on this, but his Roth IRA now is valued somewhere in the billions. All of his gains at this point are completely and utterly tax-free. He can pull all the money out as long as he's over 59 and a half. He can pull it out tomorrow. It's 100% tax-free as long as it's been sitting in there for five years. So no, there's no threshold whatsoever. And if you can conceive of somebody who's been saving the maximum into a Roth every year, which until you're over a certain age is 6000 bucks a year, you started when you were, let's say, 22, you put in 6000 bucks a year, and now you're 62. It is conceivable that you have millions and millions of dollars inside of that Roth IRA, and all those gains are 100% tax-free. Wow. Okay. So while we're on the topic, uh, let's just touch on what a regular IRA is. What's the difference between a Roth IRA and a regular IRA? Yeah, they both have their benefits. So a traditional IRA is I put in my money before I pay taxes on it. So if I put in $6,000 and I'm in the 22% tax bracket, it saved me over $1,200 in taxes to put the money in a traditional IRA because I do not have to pay taxes on the money contributed. It too grows tax deferred, meaning I'm not paying taxes on the gains along the way, but every nickel I pull out of that traditional IRA goes into my taxable income. Mm. The theory behind that is in the future, I will be in a lower tax bracket than I am today, and I get kind of this double or even triple compounding effect of earning interest on money that I would have otherwise uh, had paid in taxes. The Roth, the exact opposite. I believe that the gains over time will supersede the tax benefit today, so I'm going to delay that gratification so I have a tax-favorable situation later. That's a really easy explanation to understand, and that's what you get when you go to Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040. 
Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Investors have a way of acquiring reputations, and they become geniuses based upon a move that they will make. I just kind of wonder, as somebody who's in that business, um, what should people know about the reputations that traders get, that so-called experts get? Anything in particular that people should be leery of or people should be looking for, or is there the same kind of, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, hero worship of investors and traders that there is in other realms like the entertainment industry or the sports uh, industry? Well, let me give a couple of disclaimers in the beginning. One, I think it's great that there are those people are out there and they allow us to do some research on our own, learn from a varying degree of backgrounds and reputations, et cetera. However, if we really start thinking about anybody we watch on television, anyone, I don't care what they're reporting on or whether or not they're an expert, for the most part, for them to become incredibly popular, they have at some point become somewhat of a polarizing figure. That seems to be the way today. And similarly, uh, they need to have a claim to fame. Mm -hmm. So I predicted the 2008-2009 crisis. I told you it was coming. I was I was dead right. I write a book about it as soon as it happens, and then I lean into that book for the rest of my next 10 years, and I say, then I start predicting when the next one's going to come. Well, the reality is the market pulls back roughly 20% every three years or so. We have recessions periodically, and if we go through history, let's think about it. We had... 2008, 2009, just more recently, we had the COVID uh, crisis. Mm -hmm. Then we had 2008, 2009. We had 2001, 2002. We go back, we had 1987. Before the bull run, we didn't have a whole lot of good stuff to talk about in the early 90s. And we keep going back, 72 through 74, the list goes on. So if I'm playing the long game and I just say every single year, the market's going to go down this year for sure. At some point, I'm going to be right. And then I write a book about it and say I predicted it. But that isn't worthwhile information to help you reach your retirement goals. So what are you going to do? You're going to put your, all your money in gold, and then you're just going to wait for that one, two-year period when gold does well? When in reality, gold has been the worst single investment one could make over the last 50 years, with the exception of leaving your money in cash. Wow, is that right? So, Man, I mean, I'm sure it's right. It's just that's a stunning, that's a stunning summation to me. But it's very romantic. Because in times of turmoil, gold does well. So I'm not going to get caught with all those other morons running off the edge of the cliff. Sure. I'm going to put my money in gold. When in reality, what is the predictable way to invest? You look at historical evidence on what does well. What does well? Stocks. Okay. What type of stocks do well and in what economies? We're not day trading, but we're looking at trends over time. And then obviously diversification is important. Minimizing fees are important. And then having some sort of semblance of a, uh, a strategy to employ the best money managers that are at the top of their field. In other words, you know, the old joke, uh, what do you call the last person who graduated in their class uh, at medical school? You still call them a doctor. Still call them doctor. So let's figure out a strategy to get the best doctor. Yeah. And all of these things are very easy to accomplish. However, uh, then you have to take in the human impact. And that is, I understand that that's the right way to go, but I can't handle this level of volatility. Well, then we start fine-tuning it to you. But to simply say, uh, I know it's going to be great, and you're going to make a bazillion dollars tomorrow morning in the Reddit stocks, or I know it's going to be awful, and you better you know start putting food stores in your basement, that hasn't worked for anybody ever. Uh, it might have worked over a couple of periods of time, you know, a couple of years here and there, but it doesn't work over the long run. So be very cautious. Listen to them. Hear what they have to say. Maybe they have some good you know reports, but... Don't bet the farm on it. 
Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Aptus Wealth Management is located in Lewis Center just off Route 750, just north of I-270 and 23. They do a lot of business with a lot of clients remotely, so if you're outside the area, physical location not really that important. Getting a hold of them is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com, or via the phone, 614-917-1040. Uh, do you spend much time watching financial networks and financial segments and stuff like that? There are people who have it on all the time, and I don't know, I suppose there's some value in that, but sometimes you can uh, suffer paralysis by analysis, too. Generally, what kind of job do you think the financial channels do of making information understandable and being like in the sweet spot of telling people the kinds of things they ought to tell them? This might come shocking, but almost zero. I spend almost zero time watching the financial news, and and. Warren Buffett sends, spends almost zero time watching the financial news as well. What I do watch is I do look at annual reports. What I do watch is I do look at analysis from actual analysts that work at fund institutions that we work with, and I look at their research. Uh, but you can gain 10 times more information in 10 times less time than not reading all of the sensationalism that mm-hmm. goes along with the 24-hour news cycle. Now, there are definitely times, Bruce, I don't want to say that I don't listen to any of that stuff. There are times when we're waiting for a, a release, maybe the Fed. Mm-hmm. The Fed's going to talk today. Okay. Will I chime in and watch the Fed discussion? Yes, I, I will do that. Do I need to listen to CNBC 24 hours a day all day? Uh, it provides you nothing other than static. How much has your industry changed in terms of, I'm thinking maybe more so the way that it gets its information out than in what it's actually doing? I'm thinking back to when I first started to invest and newsletters were the big thing like every you know there'd be guys who'd have a newsletter they were stock pickers or they were fund pickers or whatever and they would give you their super secrets you know every month you'd subscribe to their newsletter i'm assuming now that's all web-based but is that market still out there of people who have a niche that they're selling their own personal expertise in those areas or has you know the two or three decades since that time sort of moved that into a kind of a wayback machine where it's not really that relevant now it's still relevant, and unfortunately, where I see it being most relevant is typically in the smaller account size categories. So, unfortunately, that um, let me tell you how to make a hundred percent rate of returns every single year for fifty nine ninety five a month. Which, if you could make a hundred percent rate of return every single year, you wouldn't need a subscription for fifty nine ninety five a month coming your way. You'd already be worth a billion dollars. Good point. The people who unfortunately subscribe to those most oftentimes are the ones with the lower levels of investable assets, yeah. which really hits home for me. I mean, I grew up very, very middle to lower middle class uh, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and, and I saw kind of these poor decisions being repetitiously made by people who really, quite frankly, are the people who work the hardest. I mean, we're talking about sheet metal workers and union laborers, and they don't have an extra $100,000 to waste. And they have that ten grand that they've been saving forever, and they waste it on four stock picks the base came up with. So I'd be very, very cautious with that, and I would stick to something that's much more historically re- relevant, that's much more planned out, that makes sense, that's time-tested, et cetera. Good advice. Josh Pick and the Aptus team specialize in that. Get with them, 614-917-1040 or online at AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S. AptusWealth.com, your consultation is free. You come away with valuable information. You'll understand the markets better. You'll understand investing, whether it's mutual funds, whether it's annuities, whether it's insurance. They can advise you in all different realms, and that peace of mind that you get is incalculable. 
All right, so the other thing that I remember from my initial investing days was uh, you ought to have a certain percentage of your money in foreign mutual funds. There's a phrase out there now, the global economy. Have we become such a global economy that it's not considered, not that I know if it ever really was, but I heard it said back then, and I was probably a gullible consumer of financial information, oh, you ought to have 10 to 15% in you know an international mutual fund. Has the global economy changed that view? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I still think there's a, a huge advantage to having money in countries outside of the United States. And and there's reasons for that. And I'll give you some examples. Uh, if you look at, you know, the United States, we're tussling right now with talking about GDP growths, you know, declining, and we're hoping we can get to a 3% GDP growth. Yeah. Well, stocks can only outpace, as a whole, can only outpace GDP by so much. So if you look at the U.S. economy and you say our GDP growth is 3%, if we bought the S&P 500, it would be reasonable to assume that maybe the S&P 500 does 4 to 5% plus another couple few percent in dividends over time because individual companies can only grow so much faster than the overall economy. Now, if you want to make bets on one or two companies, you might do better, but we're talking about diversification and, and playing kind of the mm-hmm. long bet here. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look internationally, you look at a country like India, their GDP growth, I haven't looked at it recently, but their GDP growth was over 8% not very long ago. So is there an advantage to investing in a country like India? I would say in the long run, yes. Uh, however, the reason their GDP growth is so fast or so massive compared to ours is because they're still a very young economy, quite frankly, compared to the United States. So what comes with that kind of new, vibrant growth? Volatility. Volatility, sure. So you have to kind of dance around that and be careful. What is changing, interestingly, is we're having a lot of people say that they want to stay out of certain countries. In other words, I don't, I know there's a great uh, opportunity there, but I don't want to be in India. We hear, or in China, excuse mm-hmm. me, a lot. Mm-hmm. We hear that a lot. We have clients that believe that China is a significant threat to the United States and they don't want to help empower that. Now, it's not my decision. It's not my position to decide whether that's a good or bad choice, but it is my position to make sure I can execute on that plan. So we're actually almost seeing the reverse, where people are becoming a little bit more nationalistic than they were in the past. But to answer your question simply, should you have international investments, global investments? Absolutely. Does the percentage that you should have change over time? It does. And that's where professional money management comes into play. And we're seeing, maybe not our portfolios, but we're seeing that Certain money managers are definitely starting to increase their international exposure where they were had a very minimal international exposure during COVID. They're starting to increase that back up to norms again. Interesting. And, you know, so much of what you do, people tend to think is bottom line oriented in return. But I think they feel like the return is only like the actual number that you get back. But a part of return is uh, the taxes that are going to be taken out of the return. So should people know what should people know about how returns on stocks are taxed how returns on mutual funds are taxed outside of america investments is there a difference in that or is it just hey there's a dollar sign in front of it and you get a certain rate and so that's the tax and it really doesn't matter where the money came from by far one of the hardest explanations that we cover in our office by far i'll give an example we have portfolios that are both tax efficient and tax neutral or inefficient. In other words, we have portfolios that we don't care about taxes, and we have other portfolios where we take them into account significantly. And you say, well, why would you want one that doesn't care about it? Well, if your money's in an IRA, 
taxes are irrelevant to you. You're going to pay a hundred. You're going to pay taxes on hundred percent of the money and in income, no matter what, mm-hmm. right? So we can trade as many times as we want inside of that account. Doesn't matter. However, let's shift over to I had a hundred grand in my savings account and I want to invest that now. We call those in our nerd world non-qualified money. So if we're talking about non-qualified money, joint account with you and your wife, how that is traded makes a big difference. And to explain to a client that actually getting 7% is safer and returns you more than getting 8 is a really hard thing to understand. <laughs> so let me explain how taxation works on a stock. We hear the word capital gains all the time. It gets tussled around in Washington. We're going to raise it. We're going to lower it. Capital gains rates only apply on investments that you've held for a year. So if you look at your mutual fund statement, look at something called turnover ratio. And turnover ratio simply means what percentage of all the stuff that that mutual fund owned was sold in less than a year. So if you have a turnover ratio of 100%, that means it turned over the whole portfolio, like a farmer turns over the field, Mm -hmm. it turned it all over in one year, which means you're not in the capital gains bracket. You're paying ordinary income tax on 100% of it. If your turnover ratio is zero, then that means you're definitely paying capital gains on all of it because you didn't sell anything. Yeah. Well, one is certainly more efficient than the other. So our tax-efficient portfolios focus on low turnover And if we're going to buy bonds, we're going to buy bonds that are as non-taxable as possible. Um, These are big differences. So sometimes eight is not as good as seven. That's interesting. And I understood it. So uh, that's one of the gifts that you have and that your uh, partners at Aptus Wealth Management have in that you're able to explain these things so people do understand it. And if you'd like to get a free consultation with the Aptus team, set it up at 614-917-1040 or on the web at aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So in light of that point that you just made, I'm thinking, and I'm always intrigued when I hear a politician say that this uh, particular person of a certain income amount, and it's usually somebody who's a multimillionaire, pays no taxes. And I always think, okay, that's said, and the clear implication is they're breaking the law by not paying taxes. But there is a legal way to minimize your tax liability. And my response to that kind of a comment from a politician has since grown into, well, then, if you want to take care of that issue, then you need to change the tax code because people are, by and large, doing what the law allows them to do, particularly when they have tax accountants who or investment counselors like yourself who are advising them, here's where you put your money in order to minimize your tax liability. Yeah, and remember, politicians do what politicians do which is say what people want to hear to win elections. And unfortunately, they'll say they're fixing the problem, some of which they're blatantly ignoring. They're not fixing the problem at all. Others can't even be fixed. But who ends up getting caught in the trap is usually the upper middle class, not the wealthy. And I'll I'll give you a couple of explanations. And this is not me coming up with this amazing scenario. Actually, Warren Buffett came out and said this not too long ago. He said, you know, if I'm worth however many billion dollars, $100 billion, I can go to the bank today and take out a loan, collateralizing my stock to pay off the loan. Which means I take out a billion-dollar loan. Is a loan taxed? No. So I get a billion dollars, no tax. I pay a, I don't know, 2 or 3% rate on that, and then my collateral on that loan is my stock. And that is not due until I die. And when I die, I get something called a step-up in basis, which means my stock is no longer taxable because my beneficiaries 
don't have to pay on the gains. So what do they do? I paid a 2% rate on it. Not I didn't pay income tax or even capital gains rates. And then when I die, the loan gets paid off with tax-free money. That's a pretty easy way to get around taxes. There are a myriad of other ways to get around taxes. And unfortunately, all of these things that we're hearing about how we're going to raise the capital gains rate, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, there are caveats at the high level to all of those things. If you work in Silicon Valley right now, there is a line in the tax code that if you start in a technology startup, and I know this to be true because I'm in some, if you start a technology startup and you hold that technology startup for at least two years and you sell and you're a first-round investor, you pay zero gain tax on that at all, zero. There are a lot of loopholes like that that the politicians could, in fact, close, but for whatever reason, they choose not to. Okay, so one of the loopholes that was not closed or was closed, there was something with Kristen Sinema, the Arizona senator, wanting something taken out of the Inflation Reduction Act that helped hedge fund managers, something about a carried interest loophole or something like that. Yeah. In about 30 to 45 seconds, is there a way you can explain that? Yeah, so let's, I'm going to, I have 30 seconds. So easiest way to explain it, when you have a fund, if you do not actually take something out of that fund, so we sold something, repositioned it into something else, but we didn't actually move it out of the fund. Let's use an ETF as an example. So we have an exchange-traded fund with 50 different things in it. You own the ETF. You don't own all 50 things. And we trade inside of that ETF. But you didn't sell the ETF. Even though we did a lot of stuff inside of it, it doesn't pass through that veil. Mutual or, uh, Hedge funds have the ability to do that. So as long as they're doing transactions inside of the hedge fund without taking money out, they have a carryover uh, that they can kind of write off, if you will. That eliminates some of their taxation. That was a very, uh, anybody who's super smart is listening to me right now. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's the easiest explanation I can come up with in 30 seconds. Well, we'll delve into it more next week. And we'll also delve into whatever interests our listeners. So a great way to share that interest with us is via email, bruce at salemmedia.com. Bruce at salemmedia.com. Get with Aptus Wealth Management. They're in Lewis Center, which is right off Route 750, just north of 270 and 23, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. You can also set that free consultation up online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Josh, great to see you. Thanks for your time. Talk to you again on Money Monday on The Answer, 1230 Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. Everybody have a great weekend. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.